Welcome to It's Who You Know, the podcast, bridging the gap between Jewish leaders and those who follow them. Gain insight from Jewish professionals who make the decisions that influence your Jewish world. Welcome to It's Who You Know, the podcast. This is your host, Michelle W. Malkin. And my guest today is Matt Grossman, who is the Chief Executive Officer for BBYO and has served in that role since 2004. In this capacity, he is responsible for working with the organization's lay and professional leaders to set a vision and implement strategies for BBYO. Under Matt's leadership, BBYO has reinvented itself, tripling the number of teens participating in the programs since becoming independent from B'nai B'rith. He has also led an effort to involve thousands of alumni and other stakeholders in the organization through its friends and alumni network, leading to a major increase in fundraising. Prior to BBYO, Matt worked at Hillel, the foundation for Jewish campus life, playing a key role in the organization's decade-long renaissance. I've asked Matt on the program today because he leads one of the most prominent pluralistic Jewish teen organizations in North America. Recently, BBYO was highlighted in eJewish Philanthropy because of their growing work and engagement in Canada. I'm excited to hear what makes this organization successful and what is coming up for the future of their work. Welcome to the program, Matt. Thank you, Michelle. I'm very happy to be here. Wonderful. So we'll begin as we always do. I gave a you know very brief in our intro that you previously worked for Hillel, but I'd love to hear about your journey and what brought you into this position. I grew up in central Connecticut in a town called Cheshire, which is not necessarily known for its Jewish life. And you know, at the time, I think being a part of the Jewish community was something my family did, and my parents understood the why and the what a lot more than I did. And it wasn't until high school that I actually started connecting in a more meaningful way. Ironically, it wasn't through BBYO. My town didn't have a BBYO chapter, but it was through Nifty. And that gave me my first real connection to what being a part of a community could be all about. I was very, at the time, involved in the social action efforts that Nifty offered, as well as initiatives in my school, and decided I wanted to go to George Washington University and Washington, D.C., in large part because it was in the nation's capital, and that's a place I wanted to be because I thought it was a place where you could make change. When I got down to GW, I got involved in a lot of different aspects of campus life, including Hillel. And I eventually took a internship at the time, the Council of Jewish Federation's Washington Action Office with the hope of going into politics and the combination of that along with going into politics and policy as it related to strengthening the Jewish community, helping the Jewish community was something that really interested me. So that Are was- Are you regretting or plotting that decision now? <laughs> I think about that all the time and I feel very fortunate to be one of those people who gets to do something that I believe in passionately, that inspires me, that speaks to my values and who I am as a person, and I get to make a living out of it. So there are no regrets on my part. So I got involved in Hillel on campus. That was a strong connection with me, for me rather. I took a job immediately out of college with CJF's Washington Action Office after holding that internship. And, you know, within a couple of years, I realized that politics was one way to make change, but there are other ways of making change as well. And I was connected because the office of the Council of Jewish Federation's office was in the same building as Hillel's international office. And I had established some relationships with some of the professionals there. And 
it was an exciting time for Hillel when they had recently separated from B'nai B'rith. They were seeking out a growth plan. They had just brought on some new resources, some new volunteer leaders and philanthropists, and they invited me to come on and lead an initiative that was funded by Lynn Schusterman and Charlie Schusterman at the time, one of the early grants made by the Schusterman Foundation to Hillel. And that was my start at Hillel, and I loved it. That's awesome. So how long were you there at Hillel? I was at Hillel for 11 years. I'm one of those few people. I've had three jobs in my life. I'm 47 years old and I've had three jobs. That I might regret sometime. (laughs) There's still time. (laughs) I I love each of them and I've been able to gain a lot of learning and growth through each of them. so. So what brought you into the current position that you're in after all that time with Hillel? So a couple of things. Number one, you know, at the time I joined Hillel, my responsibility was working with individual campuses that had large Jewish populations, but the Hillels themselves were underperforming. Mm. And I was responsible for turning them around. And what I saw in BBYO was largely the same kind of scenario, just at a grander scale. It was a great brand. You know, my connection personally was during my high school years. So I understood the impact that a meaningful connection could have during that time in a person's life. And to be quite honest with you, I was very close with Lynn, remained very close with Lynn Schusterman. She had poured her heart and soul into bringing BBYO independent of B'nai B'rith. And the fact that she was behind this and willing to invest more in a bigger vision for it was something that attracted me. That's wonderful. And so you've been in this position now for... 14 years. 14 years. Awesome. I'm a teenager myself. <laughs> That's excellent. So before we kind of launch a little more into the work of the organization, you brought up a couple of times and you know, obviously you read it in your introduction, this becoming independent from B'nai B'rith. For our listeners that don't have any idea what that is or what that means, could you give us a little background on what that is and how the independence process kind of began with BBYO? B'nai B'rith for a long time was the largest and most prominent Jewish organization around. I think it's been around for over 175 years or close to that at this point. And it developed internally many incredible organizations that are now independent, including Hillel, the ADL, Jewish Women International, and BBYO was the last to separate. It was before I got involved and Lynn probably took a couple of years and then there were another couple of years afterwards before I came on board. So I can't speak to the specifics of how it came about, the trials and tribulations, et cetera, et cetera. But it was something that I think B'nai B'rith realized needed to happen in order for the organization to thrive. All good parents need to let the children become independent at some point. And, you know, Lynn, she's a force of nature. She had the will yeah. to make it happen and pick it up by its bootstraps. That's wonderful. So B'nai B'rith is still an organization that exists? Yes, absolutely. Okay. The name of your organization is BBYO, assuming from B'nai B'rith Youth Organization. So again, before we launch into your work a little bit, how do you kind of work with that as far as, you know, do people ask you, what does that mean? What does that stand for? So your name is just BBYO, which is great. You know, kind of how do you wrestle with that branding part of it? Yeah, it's a great question. And the decision to keep the brand was made before I came on board. And I think it was the smartest decision that was made. 
there are over 200,000 alumni of BBYO. The organization stretches back to 1924, and people associate their most fondest memories of their adolescent years with the organization, right. and that's magic. And we would never want to lose that because, frankly, that alumni base, along with the team leaders, are sort of the engine to keep the organization going. So they decided at the time, I don't know if that's the full reasoning behind why they decided it. That's my interpretation, interpretation of that, as yes. As to why it was the right decision, there's wonderful brand recognition with the letters BBYO, and we always refer to it as an acronym, but clearly it comes from the parent. Right. And have the kids come up with their own versions of what BBYO stands for? Are they creative uh, in that way or no? There's a whole lot that goes on amongst <laughs> that you're not aware of leadership that I may not be aware of. We will, I guess, speak to that in a little while. Wonderful. Well, so then let's jump into it as far as what's the structure of the organization? How does it operate? Yeah, all those good things. What is BBYO? BBYO is in its truest form. It's a youth movement. It's a, a gathering of young people now from around the world who want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And how that manifests itself structurally is through local chapters and communities around the world, including about 550 of them in North America. These chapters are anywhere between a dozen and a hundred teams. They're single sex. The chapters are split for the most part into AZA for males, BBG for females. And within the chapter, that's where teens really test their leadership skills and do so in a way that allows them to build a strong connection to each other. It's where amazing friendships are built. It's where teens take on projects where they stretch themselves, where they learn what it means to be a part of a community. And those chapters are led by volunteer advisors. These are volunteer adults, in many cases, alums of the organization who give a huge amount of themselves to help better the lives of the young people who are a part of the chapter. So those chapters are connected by regions, and basically what the regions do, it enhances the leadership structure, it gives team leaders another ladder to climb in the organization, but it also brings them together three to four times a year for regional conventions, which are team-led and planned regional retreats essentially, where usually over a Shabbat, teens plan out a couple of days of programming, how they want to celebrate Shabbat together. They also have BBYO business in which they engage, setting their priorities, doing their elections. For many teens, these are some of the most wonderful weekends during their teen years. That's essentially the school year program. It all comes together at an international convention that we have over President's Weekend in February, which last year was a gathering of more than 3,000 teens. And basically, it's a five-day celebration of what it means to be young, what it means to be Jewish, and what it means to be at the center of a powerful force of nature. That, too, is a defining moment for BBYO and for the young people who participate in it. And then lastly, I'll just go quickly. We have summer camps, Israel trips during the summer months which reach thousands of kids. These have different themes and topics to them. And essentially what they're doing is they're strengthening the leadership skills of the participants so they can go back during the school year and do what they do at the chapter and regional level. And it's also allowing them to explore their Jewish heritage with each other, through travel to Israel, through learning opportunities, all of that. Awesome. Definitely a wide range of programs that are being put on, which is fantastic. 
So I have kind of two aspects of questions I'd like to venture into. The first is the pluralistic nature of the organization and how you kind of deal with that as far as communicating programming or you know, spiritual, ritualistic elements of your work. How do you kind of wrestle with that? What's the standard or what's the advice that you give chapters and regions or that you implement in your international conventions, given that there might be a wide range of observance among the people who are participating? I'd be very interested later on in the podcast, we're going to hear from Mason, one of our team leaders, and I'd love for him to respond to this question as well. So let's flag that. But you know, one of the great things about BBYO and the reason I mentioned that is it is team led and What we try to do is get the teams to wrestle with the tough issues around pluralism and many other issues, to be quite honest with you, and figure out what works in the broadest sense of what their community is all about. And usually it involves some great discussions about what's important to this community, what are our values, how do we make sure that we are speaking to the needs and interests of every member of the organization, and how do we create environments that allow those members to feel comfortable? And a lot of that comes through how we worship, how we celebrate Shabbat together. And what they do is figure out exactly how to make that happen. And it looks differently depending on where you are in the country, what kind of event you attend. I was just at a Kala program, which is one of our incredible summer learning programs where 260 teens from a variety of different religious backgrounds were together. You know, in some cases, what you'll find is two or three services going on simultaneously. Sometimes during the week, you'll find a service that what might not be the norm for a particular team, the team that's being offered that they can participate in or ask to participate in so they can experience something new. But I think the most important point is that it comes from the teams themselves asking themselves the tough questions that I think our community as a whole needs to start wrestling with and figuring out some answers to. Absolutely. Well, the other questions I'm going to ask, I'm sure Mason has opinions on. So let's go ahead and bring Mason on as well and let him answer this question as to his own experience in working, you know, in this pluralistic environment. So welcome, Mason, if you just give us a quick intro as to who you are and what you're doing on this program, and then I'll let you answer the question. My name is Mason Quintero. I'm from the Boston, Massachusetts area, and I'm serving as the 94th Grand Alf Gadol or International President of BBYO alongside my co, who is the International Nasiya, and she's like the president of the BBGs and I'm the president of the Alls, effectively about this question. So some of the most amazing things that I think we do, especially on the international level, is that like at services, summer programs, and at international convention, we have like five or six different prayer books. And before each prayer, we say the page numbers for each of those prayer books, Sim Shalom, Mishkan Tefillah, Koran Sachs, Art Scroll, and then one more that I'm not remembering. <laughs> but we have five Cedarim for people to choose from so that they can feel most comfortable during services, even praying alongside people who don't have the exact same beliefs as them. That's something that's really amazing. And then Matt just mentioned International Kala, and I went last year and we had like a many different services and the educators there come from a lot of different backgrounds some are orthodox rabbis others are when i went secular torah teachers it was really interesting and so once one of the orthodox rabbis led it we actually prayed with a mahitza which is the separation between men and women so that was a very interesting experience for me and like a lot of my peers who had never done that before but it was really cool to experience things that like other denominations of judaism do like on a regular basis that 
I have never done before. Did that lead to a conversation in small groups as to what that experience was like, or was it just having that experience? I can't remember if it was moderated, but we definitely ended up having discussions about like why that might be a thing that like why that's a thing that happens and like how we can understand and whether or not we think that like helps us connect with God better. It was very interesting. Definitely a lot of interesting conversations happened. I just don't remember if they were moderated or not. Awesome. Thank you for giving us your perspective. And that kind of leads into my next question, both for you, Matt and Mason. The nature of the structure of your organization is this gender split in their programming. And I work for a women's organization and there's kind of constantly the question within synagogues, you know, why do we need gender-based programming? So I'd love to hear both kind of the historical past is this always the way the organization has been and the challenges in today's modern world for having that kind of a gendered structure and really how you might be addressing people who maybe don't fit into one or the other category. So let's go ahead and start with the big picture thoughts on this from Matt and then we'll see how it looks on the ground with Mason. Yeah, sure. I'll give you a little bit of the historical perspective. The AZA side of BBYO had a 20-year head start over BBG, and it was largely because in the 20s, there was a fraternity kind of system in many high schools and communities around the country, and Jews were excluded from those fraternity experiences. And AZA started as something that was for Jews because they weren't let into the secular ones. And 20 years later, an incredible woman named Anita Perlman established BBG, and she was an incredibly powerful leader in her own right and built a model for young women to participate in as well. So that's the historical perspective of it. And it's basically been that way for the most part ever since. We do have what we call BBYO chapters. It's, I think, less than 10% of the chapters out there at this point. But essentially, those are mixed gender chapters. And mostly, they don't I would say, yes, some of them exist because the teens involved want to be in a mixed gender experience, but mostly they exist in smaller communities where they don't have critical mass to split off into separate gender experiences. And when they do, they usually do split off. Right. And then generally, are your retreats both AZA and BBG or are the retreats just BBG chapters and AZA chapters that are getting together? So all the regional conventions and multi-night experiences, our summer programs, international convention, those are all AZA and BBG together. Often chapters will have overnights that are, you know, AZA or BBG specific, whatever that Mm -hmm. chapter is. But most of the big experiences that we have are mixing the genders together. Excellent. Mason, how does this feel on the ground? Okay, so I will say that some of the most meaningful programming is separated Olives and BBGs because a lot of those moments that are separated, like at regional conventions, are things called separates, which are programs that are really meant to bring people together. And like there are lots of programs that are meant to bring people together, like that are run with everyone, but separates especially do a really good job of that. And it's in the name, separates. And we run separates at IC. And in terms of adapting to like the more modern world, so normally separates are all or BBGs, but one of my friends actually, who was the inclusion captain this year for IC working on international convention, helped plan a siblinghood separates, which was open to anyone who wanted to come or like didn't feel like they fit perfectly into all or BBGs. I have a few friends who went to that program and from what I've heard, it was absolutely outstanding. In terms of BYO chapters, I'm actually in one and Matt's right. It started as something that didn't have enough critical mass, but now it's definitely like there are a couple in my region. And so it's definitely very easy for anyone 
to join no matter what, if they fit into Alistair PBGs, like no matter how they feel. And then also in my region, I had a friend a little while ago who's a transgender guy. He graduated. And when he decided to switch from PBGs to Olives, like he was welcomed so much like in his life speech, which is something that people give at the end of their high school career. He said how welcoming everyone was and how great that experience was. So I feel like we're doing a really good job of being very like inclusive of anyone who wants to be a part of BBYO. And then also on top of that, like when you go to pretty much any region, there is a BBYO chapter. There's a good amount of those that are designed for people who don't feel comfortable being in an all for BBG chapter. So I think that those are all really important things that we're doing. And do you find that there are participants that just choose to do the regional retreats and aren't necessarily connected to a chapter or are most participants also have that local chapter? Unless participants live in areas where there really isn't a chapter, but a region encompasses it, most of the time people feel really connected to their chapter and more so connected to their chapter than their region. Awesome. I'm a big proponent of single gendered programming. I think that there's definitely a power in the way you act, the things you talk about, the the way you can be when you're kind of in those more comfortable spaces than when you are in those mixed spaces. But it's kind of getting harder and harder to figure out, you know, how do we make people feel comfortable? How do we make people feel included and able to make their choice as to where they want to find that safe space with other gendered people in that programming? So thank you for addressing that. I'll take this back to Matt. Have you heard pushback from this? Has there ever been like strategic planning, which, you know, kind of saying maybe we should not have this model anymore? Or is the reception of this structure always kind of been a positive part of your culture? You know what, when it comes to understanding gender and gender dynamics, I think teens are way ahead of the adults out there. And because our policies and the way in which we operate so much is generated from the teen leaders, they're doing the right thing. We haven't rethought it. I don't think we've needed to. We did pass a policy within the last couple of years stating that gender was whatever the individual defined as their gender and they could participate in AZA or BBG. It was their choice as to which they want to participate in. And, you know, one of the things I'm most proud of that I love most about BBYO is the teens take pride in treating each other decently. It's unlike anywhere else that I've seen it in adolescent spaces, whether it be public schools or anywhere else. The teens really care about each other. You hear so much when you ask a team what's special about BBYO, they almost always say, I get to be myself. I get to be who I truly am. And you can't manufacture that stuff. It's what you are. It's the essence of any organization. And that's what's wonderful about ours. You've been listening to It's Who You Know, the podcast. I'm your host, Michelle W. Malkin. Before turning to my conversation with Matt, I'd like to take a moment to introduce you to the guest for our next podcast episode. Wendy Rossov is the founder of Rossov Consulting and discusses with me her experience working with Jewish educational institutions in helping them evaluate their programs and create plans for how to move forward in an ever-changing world. Here is a clip from our upcoming conversation. We rely on, obviously, folks like the organizations that ask us to do work for them and the foundations that ask us to do work for them and the RFPs that come across my email or come across the transom every day that Mm -hmm. we have no idea are coming. Um, So we're a professional services firm. We're a for-profit fee-for-service based company. And the work that we do only gets done when we either get invited to do it 
or when we, you know, win a competitive, you know, RFP mm-hmm. that's been put out there. Ideally, in a perfect world scenario, I would love to be in a position where Rosoff Consulting could also initiate research in areas that we see are perhaps in need of information, in need of data, in need of new insights that can be brought through that process and putting some of our own dollars to that, but perhaps, you know, getting support in order to be able to mm-hmm. do to do stuff like that. That's a way that we'd like to make a contribution. Be sure to listen to the rest of my conversation with Wendy in our next episode of It's Who You Know. But for now, back to Matt. Great. So I want to kind of turn a little bit forward focusing and talk a little bit about what is kind of in the pipeline, what's coming in from the future, what are some new ideas or thoughts or things for BBYO. I mentioned at the introduction that there was recently an article that talked about your success in Canada and the growth there. So are things growing? Are they not growing? Are there struggles? Are there challenges? And specifically in a world where joining and membership are something we're seeing less and less of in our community and struggling more and more with how to change our traditional models. And, you know, as you've mentioned, you've been around for a very long time, I presume in a very similar model. And again, in, you in, you've been around a very long time. BBYO. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, Sorry. I well, 14 years is a long time. So <laughs> there you go. The organization has been around for a long time. I do talk a lot about on this program, the dynamic between our legacy organizations, which for better or worse is your organization, you know, being around since 1924 and the newer organizations that are emerging since 2000 that have just vastly different operating models. And some legacy organizations are able to make cultural shifts to continue to be successful. And some are still struggling with what that means for their organization. So Matt, I'd love to hear from you a little bit about kind of in the organizational life cycle where BBYO is at. And for Mason, I'm going to ask more what you see for your tenure in this position and what you'd kind of like to do with that position and how you see the future going. So we'll go ahead and start with Matt with some of the more serious technical stuff on, you know, just kind of the trends you're seeing and what's in the future for the organization. Yeah, and I assure you that the stuff Mason and the team leaders are dealing with is as serious, if not more, because that's how we grow. I think maybe the boring stuff. We can start with the boring stuff with you, Matt. (laughs) That that goes without saying. (laughs) Bad, for sure. But I don't want to take words out of Mason's mouth, but we grew 7.7% on our membership this year. And we've, I think when the organization became independent in 2002, there were 8,000 members in BBYO. This year will be over 21,500. So I don't know where this non-joining thing comes from. (laughs) I think young people want to be a part of something that inspires them and they want connectivity. And Essentially, I think that's what we've been able to give them over the years. And it starts with the teen leaders. And, you know, a lot of what goes on in the Jewish world is adults curating or creating experience programs that they expect teens to purchase, sometimes literally, but, you know, buy into like, hey, we're going to do this. Wouldn't teens love that? Yeah, let's do it. And they expect them to flock. And in some cases, a lot of money is thrown at these ideas. BBYO is the opposite right? We've never, in my 14 years of being with the organization, held a focus group with teens about what they've wanted, because it would be the antithesis, you know, it would break every value (laughs) that the organization has of being teen-led, right? Mm -hmm. Constantly on the heartbeat of what teens are interested in, because they're 
creating the experiences themselves. And the way we grow, and I'll get into your larger question about the boring stuff in a second, but this is actually what excites me and what I think are really our strategic advantage over every other organization out there is we grow when young people like Mason, juniors and seniors in high school, put their arms around eighth and ninth graders and say to them, hey, we know you're transitioning into high school. We know you're looking for a group of friends. You might be nervous about what you're taking on and what you're about to encounter, but we've got a great group of guys or a great group of girls. We get together all the time. We go away for weekends. We have all these opportunities during the summer. And guess what? We look out for each other. We take care of each other and we're treated like adults. We own it. And when that happens, that dynamic of the older team putting their arm around the younger team, it works. And that more than anything else, I think is how we've grown at the rate that we had over the years. And that's what's exciting. And Look, we're a legacy organization only in the fact that we were founded a long time ago. The organization's new in 2002, and every year we have new leaders coming in, helping shape what the agenda is going to be moving forward. So that's the exciting stuff Mason's going to talk about. And I think that's that's what makes us different. And I don't like, you know, the Jewish community tends to categorize things. uh, Yeah, this is the innovation sector and this is the legacy sector. It's a bunch of crap. I mean, Mm -hmm. legacy organizations can be very innovative. And frankly, some of, you know, the reason legacy organizations have survived, at least some of them, is because they had to be innovative, right? Right. They've had to reinvent themselves. And that's exactly what I think BBYO has been able to go through each decade, particularly in the last. But I'll just clarify real quick. I mean, it's a lot easier to create a new model of what you you know, want to create that might be interesting than to try and take an old model and change it. And it's, it's very interesting to hear about the one thing I think that makes your organization particularly unique is that your leadership are these teens. And by ipso facto of their life and the word teen and how they are involved, your leadership is constantly turning over, as you mentioned, and there's constantly new ideas and constantly new thinking. And in giving the autonomy and the authority to this group of leaders that are constantly changing, you're allowing for that change to be a constant process, right? When you have organizations that have leaders that have been involved on leadership levels for 30 years... You know, you don't necessarily have that same consistent every year, every four year kind of turnover of new ideas and new thinking and new energy and direction and kind of flowing with the culture and those kind of things. So I totally agree that legacy organizations can be innovative. It's just harder to change a culture that's been there for a lot longer than when people are creating new things like organizations that have started more recently. Yeah, look, but also new organizations that are just starting, you know, one of our greatest assets is our alumni base. And, you know, when something's starting up, you don't have that whole force behind it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there are plenty of new things about BBYO that come into play each year that have been developed over a five-year span. I mean, International Convention is an amazing example of it's the Jewish community South by Southwest, and it's been that way (laughs) in the last six or seven years. The whole notion, though, of making regional weekends, and this is sort of what we're looking toward moving forward into Jewish festivals, into festivals for teens with music and talent and speakers and the best of the best, giving them access to a broad audience of young minds that are open to listening and understanding differently. That's attractive. 
Last year, we had over 8,000 unique teams participate in our regional conventions. That's huge. That's more teams do regional conventions with BBYO that are in pluralistic day school desks in North America. So one of the things we're looking forward to and always looking at is what kind of experience and environment is being created for that teen when they choose to do something Jewish? Can it and should it resonate differently than it did with their parents? Is it competitive with everything else that they have to do on a weekend or a week when you know the whole world is trying to catch their time, their views, their whatever? We're competing against the toughest stuff out there in the audience that the whole world, consumer and otherwise, wants. So looking at those experiences and how to make it as compelling as possible, as modern as possible, in a way, we're reinventing the Jewish brand for them post-Bar Bat Mitzvah, right? Up until Bar Bat Mitzvah, Judaism for them was largely defined by their parents and a synagogue or institution that their parents were a member of. All of a sudden, they're coming to something that their parents aren't a member of, you know, that they're suddenly responsible for creating. And they, you know, a lot of times that's hard to digest. So that's a big part of what we're looking at. We're also, you know, you mentioned Canada and the article that recently appeared in EJP. We've been doing some wonderful work with the JDC in looking what BBYO can be as a global organization, a global movement of young people. We've made some real strides in that over the last several years. I think we're in the process right now of redoubling our efforts and making global a priority across the movement, which is something that we're very excited about. On the boring side, we're looking to establish an endowment. We're getting ready to celebrate BBYO's 100th birthday in a few years. That's awesome. Launching a major endowment or hopefully completing a major phase one goal of an endowment to put this organization on firm financial footing for a long time is something we're looking at. But look, that's the boring stuff. Go to him, jump to him. Right. So we'll go ahead and jump over to Mason. You react a little bit to Matt's comments and your own vision for what could be or what you'd want to do with your term in this position. So let's see, Matt covered a lot of stuff, but one of the things he really talked a lot about was growth and like why the organization continues to grow. And I think a big part of that is just the fact that these other teens are just like so pumped about BYO that they're like, I, I can't find the right word for it, but they are constantly asking their friends to join. They're constantly asking their younger friends to come, their siblings, their siblings' friends, like anyone that they can find who can join, like they're asking them to be a part of this organization. And I think it's really different when there's someone like your age asking you to do something versus like right. the internet or like your parents. parents. Yeah, <laughs> your yep. parents. There are definitely some examples of like kids saying their parents signed them up for this event and like they really liked it and that's why they joined BYO. But I'd say like 80 to 90% of kids, like when they tell their why I joined BYO story, it's my friend who is two years older than me asked me every weekend for two months to come to this <laughs> thing and then I went to it and it was amazing and that was the best decision of my life like that is just the generic joining BYO story like that's my joining BYO story so that's something that's just really amazing and like a big part of why we grow but in terms of vision for the year one of my biggest goals is to like help us expand to underserved communities that like don't have a lot of BYO but have like a very big Jewish population I kind of helped do that as uh, New England regional president. We expanded into Massachusetts, which is a very Jewish area that before hadn't really had any sort of 
BBYO, they had other youth organizations, but no BBYO. And there were a lot of kids that weren't getting reached by those other youth organizations. But in terms of new places, I believe we're looking at San Diego. We just opened in Vancouver, I'm pretty sure. I'm blanking on a lot of other places. But the best part about my job is that most of my job is working with the regional presidents. And there's 40 plus regions in North America. And then presidents that are presidents of countries outside North America. And my biggest job is working with them. So I'm really working with them on their goals. And like, if their goals are expansion, then like, I really want to help them with that. So that's basically my way of like getting on the ground. And so I do actually like travel to all these different places. But even while I'm traveling, like I'm communicating with other regional presidents from other places and like helping them with their goals. And I'm very excited that that's like the biggest part of my job for the most part. And then another thing that we really want to do is while we do like a good job of being inclusive pluralism, sometimes we don't include Judaism in like all of our programming and like, especially on the chapter and less so the regional levels, but sometimes the regional levels. And we really want to work on like incorporating that so that it's not just like a dance, but there is some aspect of Judaism in it. And also on the chapter levels that they're not just like going to bowling and going to laser quest, but they also have like Hanukkah parties or things like that. So I think we're really working to incorporate those kind of things as well. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Mason, and giving your opinion that I'm sure Matt, as much as you try, just not on the ground to have these experiences. So I'm really glad that you were able to join us. So Matt, I'm going to kind of bring it back to you and talk a little bit about your advice for, for people in the field. So people working in all sorts of organizations on all sorts of different levels. And more specifically, you know, what organizations might be able to learn from your successes in your particular model of operating? Look, hook on with a winner. You know, don't just take jobs to take jobs. Don't take jobs to increase your salary, increase your title. Make sure you're a part of an organization that is going somewhere. Look at the leadership, both the lay and the professional. Make sure that there's a team in place that can get it where you want it to be. Take on jobs where there are a lot of smart people around you so you can learn from them. Those would be my big pieces of advice. I think there's some wonderful organizations out there. And as you said, there's a shift going on. And I think there are some organizations that have some bad jobs in them. And I think you know, you got to have your eyes open going into things. And to me, that's looking at the leadership, making sure you're passionate about what the organization is doing, looking at their track record of getting it done, asking the tough questions. The good thing is, I think a lot of Jewish organizations right now are looking for very talented people. And I think the talent has a leg up. The talent can go in there and expect a lot. Right. Should ask the tough questions and should get great answers. What does the future hold for you? You've been here for in this position for 14 years. Clearly, you have a passion for the work, excited for, you know, really giving it some roots and building a strong financial support for the work. You good to go? You're staying where you're at? Are you, you know, thinking about other ways that you can kind of expand your skills or use those skills in different areas? I love where I am. I, I have the good fortune of waking up every day, enjoying going to work. I really love my colleagues. I'm challenged by my colleagues in all the right ways. We've built lay leadership and a structure that allows new lay leadership to constantly come in and push the organization and redefine the bounds and to stretch me. 
one of the things I'm looking forward to is this year, I'm going to be going through a 360 process with also some coaching involved. So I'll be able to find some blind spots, refine my leadership skills. I think that's something that refreshes someone no matter what position you're in. I'm really excited about that. But have you done that before? I have. Yeah. I I haven't done it for about four or five years. So that's great advice. You know, every five years or so be able to go through a process like that. Yeah. And you know, whether you do it formally or informally, I think you should. I think everyone should take their personnel review very seriously. I spend probably too much time writing up my (laughs) self-reflections and all of that. But if you're not self-critical, if you're not always thinking about what's next, what's the point? You're not going to grow. So that would definitely be some advice for sure. I'm happy where I am. I think BBYO is one of the most important, if not the most important platform in the Jewish community to reach and inspire young people. I believe in the audience and I believe in the platform. That's awesome. So thinking a little bit about your 14 years with the organization, are there any things that when you came into this position, you had assumptions about or you thought worked one way that you know, over your course of your work, you realize, okay, maybe that doesn't work that way. And we need to kind of go in this direction. Anything kind of reflective on your experience in this position so far that when you started might have changed between then and now? A hundred things. Every year, every month that's happening. I think the most important thing I learned over the years and have become comfortable with You know, when I started, I was 33, 34 years old. It was right around my birthday when I started. And I was young and I was afraid to make mistakes. And when I made mistakes, I would defend them. And I, Mm. you know, I, I was defensive. I didn't have a good sense of self as a leader. And that was dangerous because a part of an organization that prides itself on teaching young people leadership. Right, right. And maybe this goes back to your last question of giving advice. You know, one of the most important things I learned was embracing what you do wrong and your mistakes and being transparent about them and finding people who can help you learn from them and not trying to sweep them under the carpet because you don't want to deal with it or address it. So, you know, that's one big change in my own leadership ability. And that's frankly why having another 360 is important to me to really lean into that sense of performance of oneself. You know, one strategic thing I remember, we thought that one of the keys to growth in BBYO, I don't even want to say we, I should probably own this, helping kids prepare for college and doing a lot of college prep-based stuff. And what we learned pretty quickly, but not quick enough, was kids came to BBYO because they wanted to get away from all that. They wanted to have fun. They wanted to be in control of their own destiny. They didn't want to be in the rigid world that society places on them, you know, that carries them through high school. So that was a big thing and a shift early on. Yeah, really trying to think about what's our purpose and what are our strengths and really playing to that. That's really important. Wonderful. So, you know, in thinking about, again, your life and all the wonderful things you get to do, and it's wonderful to hear that you wake up every morning excited about your work, but I'm sure it is also very demanding, and I'm sure you have lots of travel, and your schedule is quite full, and I'm sure you also have friends and family and things you like to do outside of the office. What are some tools that you implement to try and keep balance and enjoyment as part of your life as well? Number one, I have a rhythm that I stick to that allows me to put family first, that allows me when I'm in town to be home for dinner, to help my kids with homework, to put them to bed at night. And I try to be very public about that with the team so that people 
don't feel like you need to be a martyr in order to climb the ladder in BBYO. I don't see myself as that. And I feel fortunate that I've been able to find that balance. I'm trying to think specifically. One thing I've taken on recently that I really enjoy is I ride my bike to work, which mm. is partially for exercise, but more for just clearing my head in the morning right. and concentrating on something you know other than work, which uh, is what I'm concentrating on is surviving. But right. uh, <laughs> you know, it's like forced diversion. Right. Um, that's a little thing that makes a difference. I'm locked into vacations that I enjoy taking every year, and I love planning those and enjoying those. That's great. Well, we've covered a number of topics from the organization's creation, your own journey into this position, you know, how the organization operates, its growth, covered a lot of ground. Is there anything that you feel like we've missed or any additional comments that you'd like to make about your work? I don't think so. I appreciate this opportunity. If you would have asked me one of my greatest fears in the job, it would be speaking for an hour about myself. (laughs) Well, Mason helped you uh, live at that time a little bit. Don't think I didn't think of that. But I would have had 10 kids on if I could have. No, I appreciate the opportunity to dialogue with you like this. And, you know, this pushes me out of my comfort zone, which is good for professional development as well. And if anyone listens to this and gets any value out of it, I'll be very pleased. Yeah, well, I mean, as I mentioned, not everybody knows what BBYO is or how it came to be or how it operates or, you know, maybe thinks positively or negatively about the structure and the challenges. And so being able to give you the opportunity to kind of put light on some of those things and educate our community on what it is that you do and how you do it. And then your own personal journey and tips and all that good stuff is, I hope is valuable anyway, <laughs> to our listeners and to your community just to hear from their leaders. So really, really appreciate your time today and bringing us into the BBYO world, especially bringing Mason on to give his perspective as well, I think was really valuable. So really appreciate your participation. My pleasure, Michelle. Good luck with everything. And I'll look forward to seeing more podcast posted. One thing I loved about my conversation with Matt was the immediate desire to include his team leadership in our conversation. It is rare that a CEO hides from the spotlight and pushes others in front of themselves. There are some clear lessons here for all of our leaders. That humility goes a long way in being a good, strong, effective head of an organization. Moreover, it's clear Matt is comfortable not being the one 100% in control and deferring to those which he serves, in this case, the teens he works with. Much of the thinking of the day is around how we can focus our efforts on the user experience, listen to what they are looking for, communicate the value of their opinion, see through the eyes of our customers, act on that feedback, and design for that experience. Is your organization doing that? Are they really thinking about the user experience and the way that they design their programs and experiences? Matt also has the unique advantage 